While the choir is coming down, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16. This is the um, last message on the life of Samson, and uh, there'll probably be one or two more out of the book of Judges, and then we will we'll move to a new topic after that. This has been a, been a good study for us. I've kind of called this whole uh, series of messages, if you want to just put a title on one of them, it is the, um, uh, the Death of a Nation, just a picture of Israel falling, Israel falling, God sending help, God sending help. And so I've called this one this morning, Samson, Pride Goes Before Destruction. Okay, that's uh, from a biblical text that says, Pride Goes Before Destruction and the Holy Spirit Before Fall. Samson's going to fall. And um, he's going to fall hard uh, because of, uh, I think, pride as much as anything. Now, let's look at it in chapter 16, the book of Judges. Samson is the last of the judges. He goes to Gaza. Now, let me, let's talk about Gaza just for a minute. Gaza is the very lowest point where Samson could go before he went into Egypt. Okay? Now, just, 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 kind of some, just a biblical lesson here. Egypt... In the Bible is a picture of the world, okay? So when you see Egypt mentioned, if you want to read a little bit more into uh, what the Scripture is talking about, Egypt becomes a, a, a picture of worldliness. Uh, Samson is right on the verge, okay? Now look, he has gone down to Timnah. You remember we looked at that word last week. Went down to Timnah. He's going down. Is this downward. Now he goes to Gaza which is the southernmost, farthest point that he could go before he moved into Egypt. There he sees a prostitute. Well, good grief. One woman's already got him in big-time trouble. He's about to get in it again. Samson goes to Gaza. There he sees a prostitute. He spends the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson has come here. By the way, they hated Samson. We, of, of all of the things that Samson did, of all the things we've looked at, ladies and gentlemen, I don't, Samson, don't make him the hero that our children's stories make him out to be. He was not. He was a failure almost at every turn. But God had a purpose for him, and God used him. And you'll find out that one of the things that Samson did is he, he judged Israel for Years and years and years. When we get right down to the end of it, he says he judged them for 20 years. They've been in slavery for 40. The children of Israel didn't ask for God to help them. And, and we will, I'm not going to go way into a whole lot of stuff here, okay? But, but just hang with me just for a second for a history lesson here. Because in the book of Genesis, there's a statement that God makes to a man by the name of Abram, and he says to him, I'm going to, out of you, create a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to bless the whole world. God made a promise, and in that promise, he made a unilateral covenant with Abraham. No conditions, okay? No conditions. I'm just going to do this for you. 
No, you don't have to do anything. I'm just going to do this for you. So now Israel is in trouble. They haven't called out to God. They've been unfaithful to God. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, God is faithful. Based on a promise that God made to Abraham, God steps in to help Israel here. Okay? So he sends Samson. Samson has this tremendous birth. The only other character in the Old Testament whose birth was foretold by angels was Isaac. Okay? And we know that in the New Testament, Jesus' birth was announced by angels. So he falls into a pretty high category as far as Bible characters are concerned. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. But the fact of the matter is, he's a man who totally wasted his life and the life that God had given him to use. God was faithful, although Samson was not. Samson sees this woman, and the people of Gaza are said, Samson's here. So they surround him, and they lay in wait for him. All night at the city gate. They kept quiet all night, thinking in the morning we're going to kill him. So obviously, he was a thorn in their flesh. He had killed Philistines. He killed a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey. And by the way, can I just say this? I just want to throw this out to you because we have this tendency to think that Samson was this great, big, strong, muscle-bound guy. I don't think he was. The Bible says his strength came from the Lord. Okay? And, and just let me give you an indication of that because here in just a little while when he's laying in the lap of Delilah, she has to ask him, where does your strength come from? So it's not like she can see that, hey, th- this guy's a big old burly, strong, magnificent giant of a guy. Um, I think she looks at him, and the Bible basically says that she scorns him. I think she looks at him and goes, well, how, how did a weenie like you get so strong? Maybe that's it. I don't know. But these men lay in wait for him, and to show you just how strong he is, he gets up at midnight, he grabs the doors, he grabs the, the gatepost, he picks them up, he throws them on his shoulders, and he carries them up, carries them up on top of a mountain, Hebron. It's that that's not enough. The third verse, the, 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 the fourth verse says, after this, Samson loved another woman. In the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. She was probably a Philistine. Now, you remember last week when I talked to you a little bit about dating the right kind of people, young people, marrying the right kind of person? Um, This was, every woman that got Samson into trouble was a Philistine. She was not an Israelite. She was not of God's people. All three times... They got him in trouble. All three times, all three of them had an ulterior motive. So he falls in love with this woman. Her name is Delilah. The Philistine rulers came up to her and they said, trick him. Find out about how his strength is so great and how we can overcome him and bind him, humiliate him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 silver coins. That's about 28 pounds. Okay. Each one of us will give you about 28 pounds of silver. Money. Isn't it amazing 
And when you open the Bible, a lot of times, a lot of people's problems always deals with money for some reason or another or possessions. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. So here they are, and, and, and we'll just stop right there. And You, you know the story. We can, we, we'll look at some of it as we go along. Here's a man who could be controlled by no man, and yet he could not control himself. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be, ladies and gentlemen. When you cannot be controlled by someone else, but you can't control yourself either. There is, there is something I want you to think about here because there are some people that would say, well, Samson was cast out. No, Samson, Samson was not cast out. Samson was kind of cast away, but he was not cast out, okay? There's a difference there. This is a picture of the scriptural passage that says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We are, in this case, just as in all cases, we have to be very, very careful because the Bible talks about examples. Okay? Samson is to be an illustration, not to be imitated. There's a difference in that. He's an illustration. He's an illustration of where man can go when he thinks about going his own way. Now, we'll look at this in two weeks because I've got to get to the very last chapter. When the very last chapter says, And Israel had no king, and everybody did what they thought was right in their own eyes. We have a culture in America that, that, that has no absolute truth or believes there's no absolute truth that believes that whatever is true for them is what's true. And if you don't agree with them, then you're wrong. And they just do whatever they, that seems right in their own eyes. And any time a nation or a culture or a church or an individual develops the mentality that it doesn't matter, that there is no truth, that what's true for me is what counts, we are headed for a fall. You're in big trouble. Now, listen, God is gracious. You may be living that way right now. You may be living in deep sin right now in your life, and you're going, you know what? God's not, God's not mad at me. God's not done anything with me. God hadn't called me to the carpet. Well, one of two things. Number one, you're either not His, and you need to check up. Or number two, you better be looking over your shoulder because trouble's coming. Okay? Y'all with me? So he's to be an illustration, not an imitation. Now, I want, to go, I want to go through here real quick, and I want to talk about some things this morning. I've, I've jotted down some notes, and, and, and I want you to just hang with me just for a second. I want you to see, and we have seen, his folly, Samson's folly. Now, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that fools make a mockery of sin. Fools make a mockery of sin. Ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's going to be okay. I can do what I want to do. 
I can do what I want to do. God loves me. God's going to forgive me. Let me just say this from the, from the onslaught. I'm telling you, I, I've been, I've been having, a, I'm having a real struggle. Because there are people that believe because God has extended His grace to us, and God continues to extend His grace to us, that it doesn't matter what we do, that God's going to forgive us anyway. Shall sin abound so that grace can much more abound? Paul says no. But the fact of the matter is, there is some truth in that statement. If you're a child of God, then God is going to forgive you when you ask Him. But here's where we draw the line. Okay, here's where we're going to draw the line. Yeah, if I sin, God's going to forgive me. But God is not going to rescue you from the consequences of that sin. Okay? Yeah, He will forgive you. A lot of us go to God in prayer when we get in trouble and we go, God, if you'll just take this away from me. The fact of the matter is we have started something that's in the process that has got to finish before we come out on the other end. God will forgive you, absolutely yes. But there are consequences, ladies and gentlemen, that come along with our sin. And the Bible says that fools make a mockery of sin. Look at verse 1. So, uh, Samson is moving deep into enemy territory here. Sexual immorality is his sin of choice. And because of that, he's going to be judged by God. Notice he is surrounded here by his enemies. He's in this town, and all these people are coming around. There's a folly here. Here's the folly. Here, here, here's the statement I want to give to you this morning. Most people think that you can sin and not be affected. You cannot practice sin and not be affected by it. Verse 4. This is the third woman in his life. It's obvious that his glaring problem is lust. But now lust is even more than just lusting after somebody of the opposite sex. Or, or lust, we, we always connect that to sexual sins, but lust is even more than that. Lust for power. Lust for prosperity. Lust for status. And be willing to do whatever to get that. We talked about lust and we talked about the book of James and how James talked about lust is that word that carries with this idea of this this flaming wildfire that hits us when that thing that we're lusting after the temptation is there and it just something just happens on the inside of us it sparks and this flaming forest fire is going on before you know it we're right in the middle of all this but the fact of the matter is is that he also talked about it as being like a lure like bait. And don't ever forget, ladies and gentlemen, the purpose of the bait is to hide the hook. There's a hook. If you're living out there in sin, there's a hook. It's just waiting for you to lunge and to grab. Samson's playing a game. Look at verse 7. Samson said to her, if you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like an ordinary man. Now, I want to show you something. Circle this, if you would, because you'll miss this if you're not careful. Samson said to her, if they, 
I want you to underline that and draw attention to that because you know what? Samson knew that they were there. Have you ever thought about that? If they bind me, not you, pay very close attention when you're reading Scripture. Pay very close attention to what's said. You're going to miss, you're going to miss something if, if you just scan over those passages and try, try to read them just to check that off your list. Pay attention to what's happening. He knows they're there. He's playing a game with them. He's playing close to the fire. And he's about to get burned. Now notice here, Delilah is very calculating. That's kind of the way sin is, ladies and gentlemen. She is very persistent. Very persistent. Now let me, I'm going to teach you something this morning. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Let's just take, for instance, here for a moment, Delilah's after something. And um, let, let's just, let, let, let's just, if we can just take for let, let's just look at her for a moment as being the enemy, because in this, in this sense, she is. Notice as they go through, tell me, tell me. Two times she did that, and she said, the Philistines are upon you. Of course, Samson jumps up, and he goes out, and, and everything's cool, you know, he just takes over the situation, and he doesn't think anything can happen to him, but she's persistent. Let me tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. Just because you withstand a temptation once doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted with that again. The devil is extremely persistent. If you'll notice here, what Delilah did to Samson was is she wore him down. And we'll look at that verse in just a minute. She was wearing him out, the Bible says, with her crying and her complaining. You don't love me. You don't care anything about me. I'm telling you something. The devil is your enemy. And he is going to be calculating. And he is going to be persistent. And he is not going to let you off the hook. Just because you resist that temptation once. Just because you said no once doesn't mean that he's not going to repackage it. And come back to you with it a little bit later. Delilah's calculating. She's persistent. Look at verse 13. Delilah said to Samson, Up until now you've deceived me. You've told me lies. Tell me how to get you bound. He said to her, If you weave seven locks of my hair into a fabric. Now listen. She's getting close to the truth now, isn't she? See, before it's been my hands. Just bind my hands. Bind me. Now he's moving to his hair. Now listen, I, I, don't, don't get confused. His strength was not in his hair. His strength was in God. The hair was a symbol of his vow as a Nazarite that he belonged to God. Okay? He belonged to God. I want to say this to you. There needs to be some visible difference in our eyes as believers so that the world recognizes that we don't look and act like everybody else. Whatever that is, whether it be our countenance, whether it be our words, whether it be, whether it be you know, places we go, whatever we do, the fact of the matter is there needs to be something in the life of every believer that stands out from everybody else. Because everybody that saw Samson and saw that long hair knew that he was God's man. Okay? Now, he, he's, he's wearing down. She's persistent. She's staying after him. You don't love me. 
You don't care anything about me. If you loved me, you wouldn't do me like this. And then look at verse 17. Samson caves. Samson caves. I I think this is kind of interesting here. So he told her. Now look at verse 16, right? Here's my translation, verse 16. He was tired to death. Don't ever make any rash, immediate decisions while you are tired or while you are hungry or while you are not in a good place to make a good decision. He was tired and he told her. Now, look, he told her all the secrets now this, of his heart. He told her all the secrets of his heart. I think that's kind of interesting when you look at that. No razor has touched my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I were shaven, my strength would leave me, and I would become weak and be like all other men. Samson is lying in the lap of the enemy. You see it? She's wooing him. She's singing to him. She's stroking him. She's telling him what a great guy he is. He's laid his head in her lap. He, listen, he has gone as far south as he can go. It's kind of like um, Lot. You remember Lot? Lot? Lot's sin began when he looked. And then he pitched a tent toward Sodom. And then later on in the story, he's living inside. Do you see the progression? Progression is he was born this fabulous, godly man kind of birth. Had all of the privileges and the strength that God wanted to give him. And yet you see him on this downward spiral, downward, downward, downward. Pride goes before destruction. He's headed for destruction. You cannot play with sin and not be harmed. Now look at verse 20. We have seen Samson as he has moved into this area of of his folly, of just living flippantly. Look at the bitter news of his fall. Look at verse 20 with me if you would. Uh, This is... um, this is so, I, I hate these little numbers. When you get older, they're hard to see. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He's, listen, he's sleeping in the lap of the enemy. He has given away his secret. I'm, I want you to unline this because I want to talk about this for a minute. I'm going to go out just like I have before, and I'm going to shake myself free. Now, underline this. But God had left him, and he didn't even know it. Folks, that happens gradually. Don't happen overnight. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God's on you. Man, you're moving, you're hot, you're on fire for God. And then, and then you know, you're, it's just a little bit at a time, just a little cooling off. 
just a little being um, uh, afraid of, uh, of a blowback or whatever. Samson is in a situation. He's trapped. And God's not going to help him this time. Pride goes before destruction. It's awful to be a backslider. Now, I guess every one of us know what that word means or what that is. That's somebody who's not as much as fire on God today as I was yesterday. Okay? Or I used to just be really on fire for God, but I've just kind of, I've kind of lost my, my um, enthusiasm for the things of God. We, we would call that a backslider. It's a terrible thing to be a backslider. But listen to this. It's even more terrible to be a backslider and not know it. Listen to Revelation chapter 3 just for a moment. You can turn or make a notation. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, and here's what he said. You say... You say, I'm rich, I've stored up goods, I have need of nothing. Yet you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Think you've got, you think you've got the world by the tail? You think you, you've got it all together? The fact of the matter is you don't. And the recognition of the I don't is what leads us to that moment of repentance and confession. As long as you think you've got it made, as long as you think things are going great, as long as you're laying down your guard, I'm telling you, you better be looking over your shoulder. Trouble's headed your way. Cold and indifferent. No Holy Spirit power. I know people like that. I know churches like that. Have you ever thought for a moment what the qualities of a church are who are alive and on fire and full of the Holy Spirit? Well, the number one thing to look for is how many people are getting saved. Number two... How many lives are being changed? Did you know that it's possible? Uh, not, look, I'm, can I pick on the choir just for a minute? I'm just going to pick on Y'all did such a great job this morning. You always do. But I want to tell you, I want to challenge y'all to start doing something. I want you to challenge you to start singing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in your own power. We can get up here and we can do I can get up here and preach in my own power. And I probably do more so than not. I told some ladies the other day, you asked me, how can I pray for you? I said, that I might not get so confident that I can do what I do without God's help. I promise you this right here. I, I, y'all know me. I could walk in here next Saturday, next Sunday, never pick up my Bible, never study and preach you a gospel message. 
But it ain't going to do me any good, and it won't do you any good. I want to ask you something. I need to ask you this. This becomes part of this whole message. Are you getting cold? Are you operating in your Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? Then you can't expect results if you're not. Now, look, I get it. I get it. Look, we, we can do whatever we want to say and say whatever we want to say. Book of John, chapter 3. The Spirit blows where He wants. We've had this discussion more and more and more over the years. And it's like, well, you know what? Nobody walked forward. Nobody got saved this morning. I guess the Holy Spirit just didn't want to save anybody. Nobody wants to save anybody more than the Holy Spirit wants to save them. Don't tell me that the Holy Spirit don't want to come into the place and save somebody. I wonder too many times if it's our own quenching of that spirit or the grieving of that spirit that stops the flow. You say, well, this one person can't stop the flow. I'm going to tell you what, yes, sir, they can. And it happens. Going through the motions. Are you going through the motions of your Christian life? Because if you are, here's a good way that you know that you're going through the motions of your Christian life, if you've got a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life says, be. Just be. Not do, not don't do. Be. Y'all with me? So my question is, have we become cold and indifferent? Look at verse 21. Now, 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 I want you, I want you to do. There's a, there is a, a Hebrew literary, um, um, whatever these things are called, a, a, a literary style that if you're not very careful, you'll miss. Now, now, I want you to circle this. I want you to circle these words. I'll tell you when to circle. The Philistine seized him and circle and. They gouged out his eyes. And they took him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze chains. And he ground grain in prison. The little word and, when you're reading your Bible, if you see it over and over and over again, the little word and is a... Literary style there, especially in the Hebrew language and also in the Greek language, that carries with this idea of you need to pause and reflect. Slow down. Okay? When you see those little ands one after another, it means slow down. Pay attention to what's being said. Look at this carefully. He's laying in the lap of the enemy. And... The Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they carried him down to Gaza, and they bound, they, they bound him with, with bronze chains, and he ground grain in prison. You see that? Slow down. Don't run past that, because I'm telling you what, this is a progression, and where sin wants to carry you. Into this prison house of sin. The Bible talks about being a slave to sin. 
Many of us sitting here this morning are slaves to sin. Or we've just, we've just been released from that. Be extremely careful because the devil's intention is to enslave you in sin. Pause and reflect. This is serious stuff. It's what the Bible's saying. This is where sin will carry you. Samson the Great became Samson the Slave. Samson, yes, is a slave to the Philistines, but more than anything, Samson is a slave to sin. But I want to show you this. I've got to show you this real quickly. The blessed news of Samson's forgiveness. Blessed news of Samson's forgiveness. Now look at this. Underline this with me if you would. It's found in verse um, 22. Right at the end, the hair of his head began to grow back. Now it doesn't say that it grew back immediately. Okay? Forgiveness, write this down. Forgiveness is immediate. Restoration takes time. Okay? Forgiveness is immediate. Restoration takes time. That's a biblical principle, ladies and gentlemen. You need to, you need to memorize that one. Because I'm telling you what, you don't go from here to here the next day. Sin and repentance is this. Here's a man who's walking in the wrong direction. Repentance means to turn and move back toward where it is you came from. The fact of the matter is, when I, when I repent and I make that turn, I'm not where I was. I've been forgiven, but the restoration, the time of me getting back, is going to take a little while. And there's some lessons to learn as I move back closer and closer and closer. But the fact of the matter is, we're moving back and back closer to the Lord at this point. Has Samson gone too far for God to bring him back? I'm telling you, I know people who would say, I can't be saved, or God can't forgive me because of everything that I've done, and they'll start naming things off. Has Samson gone too far to bring him back? How about you? How about you? You feel like you've gone too far for God to bring you back? Listen to me. I love that. I'm, I'm beginning to love these words. Listen to me. I want you to hear me. As long as you're breathing, as long as you are breathing, there is hope for a new beginning. Okay, can God do that? Are you breathing? Then there's hope for you that He can. Not only that He can, but that He will. So, here He is. He's in the prison house. Now, now, now here's, here's another lesson. Here's another lesson for you, okay? Here's what Samson's about to do. You're saying to yourself, how in the world can a saved man live that way and still be saved? I think Samson understood something that a lot of us need to understand. Samson, I believe, believed, I cannot fall from grace, so I will fall into grace. 
Wow. What a truth. That's what he's doing. He's falling into grace. Not from it. He had lost his salvation here. But listen, he goes to the source which he knows that that grace is extended. And what does he do? Look at verse 28. He says, oh Lord, if you'll just help me. He turns his prison house into a prayer room. One good thing about prayer, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) no matter where you are, no matter where you are, you cannot get so far out that you can't reach the ears of God. Samson's in trouble. Yes, he is. But he turns his prison into a prayer room. He's forgiven, but not from the consequences of his sin. And it's about to get him. Remember what they did? They gouged out his eyes. They carried him over there, and he, like an ox, they worked him, and he just did grain. And the Bible says that they got together in this great big arena, and they called for Samson so they could make sport of him. And they brought him before their god, Dagon, the half-fish, half-human god, you remember? So they could make sport, and they did. They're laughing at him at this point. Look at verse 23. I want to show you something. Philistine rulers gathered to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate. You know what they were doing? They were rejoicing over the fall of God's man. Rejoicing over the fall of God's man. I'm going to tell you what. You let let one of God's men fall. You, You know what happens. You see it, it'll be plastered all over the front page of a newspaper. The world rejoices when one of God's men falls. The world throws a party when one of God's men falls. You remember over the book of Revelation, the two witnesses? They're going to wreak havoc on the people during that day. And the dragon slays them and they lay in the streets for three days. What do they do? They throw a party. Because the people that had been speaking conviction and truth were now gone and they didn't have to listen to it anymore. Samson has been forgiven, but now he is living with the consequences of his sin. And these people are rejoicing. Let me give you just a couple of verses. Psalm 137, verse 2. You remember the the children of Israel have gone into Babylon... And listen to what the Babylonians are saying to them. They said, we hung our harps upon the poplars. For there our captors made us sing. And our tormentors made us entertain. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Children of Israel in captivity. And now the Babylonians are mocking them. Sing us songs about Zion now. Talk about your God now to us. I want to show you something over in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and uh, verse 24. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to look in the mirror here. As it is written, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
Gentiles being, in this case, the non-believers. Can I ask you a question? Is the name of God blasphemed among the lost because of you? Do people mock your God because of you? Every time we do that, ladies and gentlemen, we give the world an opportunity to make sport of Jesus. Well, here's the good news. The day came. The day came when the old-time power could be felt again. Listen, there's some of you this morning, I'm telling you, you're sitting here. And you're just looking for that day when you feel that again. I'm telling you something. There's, there's, there's a way to get that. It begins with forgiveness and restoration, confession. It came. He began to feel it again. He's been restored. I'm not going to go into this. I don't have a lot of time for this. I think Samson committed the sin that leads unto death. find that over mentioned even in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily some have some are sick some have died the sin unto death is that point in life when you living so deep in sin and God has sent you message after message after message after message when you just won't behave You're not going to give that sin up. You've fallen in love with that sin. It's more important to you than Jesus. You love that sin more than you do Jesus. You're misbehaving. You're causing the name of Christ to be blasphemed. And just like my daddy used to do, my brother and I fought in the yard, he'd say, come on in the house, boys, where I can make you behave. Believers can commit the sin unto death. Only unbelievers can commit the unpardonable sin. We'll talk about that later. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is that Samson is a man who wasted his life. Saved, but wasted his life. Now, let me give you three things real quickly. Number one, moral compromise puts you on the slide to moral collapse. Moral compromise puts you on the slide to moral collapse. It starts in your thought life. Number two, Satan's temptations are always attractive. And number three, if you have sinned, there's still time for restoration. There's still time for restoration. Now, here's what I want you to do. And we can all do this. Reach, reach back there and feel the back of your neck. I want everybody to do this. Reach back there and feel the back. You feel your hair growing? You feel it growing? Samson's hair began to grow. Well, I've been away from God for so long, but man, I just want to come. You know what? My hair's growing. Hair's growing back. Power's coming back. I can feel it. I can sense it. I'm on, we're on the verge. That same power, ladies and gentlemen, that, that allowed Daniel to lay down amongst a bunch of lions one night and go to sleep. That same power 
that saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from that flaming, fiery furnace. That same power that got Jonah out of the belly of the fish. That same power that caused blind eyes to see and deaf ears to hear is the same power that lives in us. It's the same power that is available to us. It's the same power that created resurrection. So here's my question to you. You're going to leave here today. Everyone else is going to leave here today. Here's the question. Are you going to leave here to be the person God saved you to be? Or are you going to leave here locked up in the grip of Satan? Now, I'm going to do something. Come here, Kurt. Come here, Tom. I'm going to do something. This is a total surprise. I'm going to do something. I want everybody to stand up here just for a moment, okay? Just for a moment. This is going to be different from any plea that you've ever heard in your life or seen in your life. But we're going to do something this morning. We're all going to sing this morning, okay? So, so number one, here's this. If you're here this morning and this song is not your understanding or testimony in your life and you want to be saved, then you know what? Come forward.